Hello and welcome to a new episode of Don Wilson's Hollywood Beat. On today's program is one of my first radio interviews done in 1992 with Lamar Fike, a member of Elvis's inner circle. Let's get into it. I'm sitting here with Lamar Fike, and uh, he's gracious enough to tell us some of his memories of his friend Elvis, and I really appreciate you coming on Mystery Train. Hey, glad to do it, man. (laughs) All right, let's rock. Uh, Tell us how you first uh, met Elvis. Met him actually in 54, Sam Phillips introduced me to him. Uh, Got to know him fairly well after that, and then 55, Cliff Gleaves and I were living together at the YMCA, and I used to go over to his house, and we just got to be friends, you know, and uh, then in 56, I started traveling with him, and then he moved out, he went out to L.A. to to do his third picture, second picture, and he went out when he started during Loving You, and then on out, I was with him, you know, I was with him for 23 years in actuality, but I ran his publishing companies, and was back and forth, and lived in Nashville, you know, things, sort of one of those one of those perennial relationships, you know. How did Elvis approach you? Did he just say, Lamar, I want you to come on the road with me? Or I want well, you to work with me. He shot at me. You know, it's one of those, no, no, no. <laughs> I just said, you know, he said, hey, you know, he said, what have you been doing? I said, nothing. He said, why don't you just start traveling with me? I said, sounds good to me. You know, when you're young and you don't, you're carefree, it's just one of those gigs. He said, let's just try and see how it works. And we had a lot of fun together, you know. We're just like, kind of like brothers. We grew up like brothers. So it was a lot of fun. What was it that, uh, uh, for you, just coming into this this world with Elvis Presley, all of a sudden, you know, you know, it just became very normal. It was to me, you know, I was like, I think I was like 19 or 20. I had one. I've been in the business since I was 14 years old. I'm 58 now, so I've done the business practically all my life, and it was just another extension of something else. And as a consequence, you know, you just go ahead and and you do what you think is normal. And to me, it's always been normal. I've never known anything else but, but, you know, with Elvis, it became forest for the trees. You had to step back and take a look at the inside from the outside. So, you know, it, um, at the time I was doing it, was just very normal, you know. Of course, now since then, it's become abnormal. So, you know, and the historical part of it is that, you know, now it is, it's, it's, it's the histrionics of it now is just what it is. It's, uh, you know, it's just, you know, the legendary proportions of well. You know, now he's become the greatest icon of the 20th century. So, you know, it's like, it's like one of those situations where you just go, okay, you know, and if you don't get objective, if you don't stay objective about it, it'll push you through the wall. So I just stay real objective about it. Hi, this is Cliff Leaves. Yeah, you're rocking and rolling with the incredible Donnell. Here, Red West talks about an incident with Elvis and Lamar Fike in Vegas. As you will hear, I asked Red to tell me some uh, memories that he had of Elvis and himself in Vegas. A little piece on uh, Las Vegas. Uh, uh, later on in the show today, can you think of anything that funny might have happened out in Vegas? Well, yeah, well, Lamar Fike, uh, Elvis had to Winnebago, and we were driving back and forth from L.A. to, to Las Vegas, and one morning we got up early, and Lamar was, you know, Lamar's a funny guy, about 300 pounds, and he was going to drive it. 
tried to put a bag on. He said, well, your friendly, courteous driver expects our ETA to be so-and-so and so-and-so. Uh, he got in the bus and getting stopped by the Sahara Hotel or something, Colonel Parker. And we're all in the bus in the Winnebago and he pulls in the Sahara and the bus is uh, 14 something feet high and the overhang of the Sahara is 13 something. And he took the, uh, <laughs> the top of the Winnebago off and that was sitting right underneath where the air comes in and all the paint on the Sahara came right down on his head. He just sat there, reminded me of the cartoons where I guess he had a face with paint and all you see was his eyes and the white face. And, uh, that took him something really funny. Did a good job of it, huh? I'm sure Elvis, you know, he got to take a bite. Well, later on it is. At the time, <laughs> he was mad and a hornet. So, you know. Now it's funny, back then it was, but you know. The Red and Richard, they said somebody had run out of gas in the desert. That's right, yeah, ran out of gas and had looked around as a bunch of skulls, you know. It's kind of weird, you know. Yeah, well, uh, they were wondering exactly, uh, how, how did you get a, get a hold of gas out in the desert? I walked across the road, got a car, uh, a guy picked me up, went down and got the fuel, and brought the fuel truck, a uh, truckload of fuel from from the service station owner. We filled it up, and and uh, I got back in the... Uh, I got back in the motorhome, we drove the damn thing to L.A. Mm -hmm. And once we got it to L.A., you know, it's like, uh, it was all right, you know. I just, I just, you know, I misjudged the height, that's what I did. So. Elvis, have any, I know you had nicknames for everybody. What was your nickname from Elvis? Oh, everything from Birdie to... Uh, was the Bird Legs one? No, it was, he always thought it looked like an owl, you know. So he would say, <laughs> call me Birdie or... Or the great speckled bird and stuff like you know he just he just you know whatever you know it's just one of those Lemoyne stuff like that he just we always came up with odd names for each other we used to call him Guppy or Crazy or something like that one of those kind of things yeah Richard Davis says he'd even cheated Yahtzee he said Elvis you can't cheat at Yahtzee but well, he did it he was just <laughs> Elvis just had this morbid fear of losing things you know it was funny. And of course, there'd be times like you and Elvis with uh, all the guys together, you know, you would just be like punching bags for each other, just joking around. Isn't that right? Or, you know? Yeah, I would say that'd be a good term, punching bags, <laughs> to bang each other around a lot, you know. It was really just kind of, you know, just, just roughhousing, you know, what it was. When you're kids, you're roughhouse, same thing, we were doing it, you know. It's one of those things, I guess the tension itself was relieved by doing it, you know. Mm -hmm. But that was, a, that was a fun time. You look back on that fondly, too. Yeah, I guess, you know, going cross-country, you know, you could all just kind of get claustrophobic after a while. And oh, well, the, the claustrophobia part of it was continual. Mm -hmm. It changed. It never changed. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, is there any funny instances that you can remember? I mean, not necessarily a story, but something that just might have tickled you or something about Elvis. You know, there are more funny stuff, I guess, than serious stuff, but... I can't think of any one particular incident. Uh, Elvis himself is a very funny person. The only time Elvis was funny is when he was serious. You know? so, mm -hmm. When he tried to be funny, he wasn't funny at all. That was, you know, if I sound like that I, if I'm being abstract, I'm not trying to be. It's just one of those things again, you know. Uh, 
Now there was also like, wasn't there a threat on Elvis's life and uh, at the International Hotel one time? And uh, sure was. Do, you, do you remember the instances of what occurred about that time? Well, he just, you know, they had a a threat on his life. It was on a continual basis. This got pretty serious. And we had F we had FBI people there and sharpshooters, and we had to roll the lights up in the room a little brighter and. He was a little nervous, you know. I think Elvis stayed constipated for a week or something. I don't know. It's just one of those things where he really got very, very nervous. And, you know, you, you didn't know if anybody was going to shoot or not. And so everybody gets on guard, you know. It didn't happen, but, you know, it, it makes you awful nervous because you go out on stage, you're pretty vulnerable, you know. It's like bang, bang, you know. So, so Elvis, Elvis was pretty uh, upset about that and so forth? I oh, terribly so. Terribly so. Well, he told Richard Davis he said he was going to move a lot on that stage that night because it's hard to hit a moving target. That's exactly right. The show was, the show was pretty quick. Very quick, in fact. Yeah. Well, he must have got Harry sometimes doing security for Elvis. Got Harry a lot of times. People want to touch you. When people want to touch you, it's okay, but not 45, 50,000 people at once. And sometimes they get kind of rough and really try to tear them apart. Well, or... they didn't mean to be rough. It was just one of those things, you know, that, uh, uh, they just, it, I think it's affection is a very strange thing. A lot of people want to just touch and shake your hand. Well, it gets busy, you know. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's very busy. You know? Yeah, I've heard stories about, you know, people uh, clasping Elvis's hands and sometimes, you know, they, they just cut him. Well, they wouldn't let, loose. wouldn't let loose. Yeah, it was really. People are funny about that. Is, is that why he wore the band-aids on his fingers a lot? Well, yeah, because he keeps his rings from cutting him any worse than they were, you know. Do you think that Elvis would be surprised by the continuing of the fans coming to see him so many years after his death? Well, you know, I guess he would be, you know. I keep telling him to come back every Easter and put cameras up. He might roll the grave back, you know. Roll the stone back, so to speak, you know. <laughs> so so uh, when Elvis was alive, though, did he usually did he ever say anything about uh, the fans, about... He couldn't believe that that... Uh... No, I think, yeah, to him, it was very, very normal. You have to understand, this is a guy who grew up in the business, literally, from 18 years old up. And so it was like, it was just part of his everyday nature, you know. He, uh, so as a consequence, he built his own world so he could stay within a buffer zone. So that's the way it was with him. He was two different people. And what you saw outside of the buffer zone was Elvis. But inside the buffer zone, he was another person, you know. So, I mean, we saw what it was really like. And he was a good person, but, I mean, you know, he just... He was like a person who really, uh, he kept such a buffer between him and his fans that things were just really one way or the other, you know. You know, he never did interviews with, on, like, cars or anybody like that. Just kind of, it was his own gig, you know. You worked a lot in the music end and so forth. What was it about Elvis when he would go into the uh, studio to record? What would he just go well, we for demos? Pre- well, we had, you know, we had... Writers who specifically wrote for him, you know, Doc Palmas and Mort Schumann and, and uh, you know, Otis Blackwell and these people. And they would write songs for him that would just be right down his throat, you know, and we would go through the songs and pick them out. I had writers in Nashville that wrote songs, and uh, like Eddie Rabbit and these people, and we would take them straight to him. So as a consequence, he didn't really have to look, and Elvis and I would go through the selection and find what we thought was correct, and uh, it worked. That way, you know. So you were responsible for some of the the hits that Elvis had uh, come out with, but bringing I'd some say to about eighty percent of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, any come to mind right offhand? Or? 
Oh, Kentucky Rain, Don't Be Cruel. Pretty long there, you know. Did he, uh, did he have any favorite musicians that he really liked to work with? Well, of course, his band, of course, James Burton, those people. Mm -hmm. Ronnie Tut. He enjoyed working with them. Nashville, he had a certain crew he liked, like the Jordanaires. And also, um, you know, just uh, different, uh, you know, Different uh, musicians that he liked, you know. Mm -hmm. Did he did he care much about recording in Nashville? I've heard comments that no, he really liked it. He liked working in Nashville. Mm -hmm. He enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. Do you know how much? Uh, uh, what did Elvis really feel about the Sundays? Do you think that uh, he felt he? One of the things that there were that was an initial thing, and after a while that was it. You know, just, he didn't dwell on it. He was not a very histrionic involved person. You know. mm -hmm. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out, and uh, I, I do want to say you do have a video out now with you and David Stanley. Yeah, it's Legend of a Legacy, or Legacy, leg yeah, this is, yeah, Legacy of, a, no, it's Legacy of a Legend, uh, Elvis Week, and uh, uh, Perry Ward and, and David Actuality did it, and I was, in Actuality did it, and I was, I was on it in two or three places, and, uh, you know, we just kind of talked about things, and Perry poured a tremendous amount of money in it, and in fact, he's going to do an 800 number on it in about uh, four weeks. It's going to be available nationwide, and then we're going to do a tour of Europe with it. It's uh, it's a really, he's got an hour version, hour and a half version. Very, very good tape, though. It's just really well done, very polished. That's great. If somebody wants to order that, is there a way to contact? It'll be an 800 number, probably in September, that'll hit the waves, so airways around the United States. So he's going to put the whole thing he's going to just control it and do it in an 800 situation so everybody will be able it's one of those tapes that everybody should have because it's just very it's a velvet week and it's really you know it's sort of i think the histrionics of the of the situation is terrific because it's got a lot of good interviews from a lot of people you know so i think it's worth it from the entertainment value of it alone and then the histrionics of it, it's terrific you know that's fantastic. You also have something out on Cabin Fever, you and David. There was another interview. We used to call David and I call them the Couch Tapes. You know, they're 1995 or 995, I'm not sure. It's about a 30-minute tape, and it's just David and I sitting on the couch talking to each other. And a lot of people have it. It's amazing. I think it's sold about 30,000, 40,000 tapes, but it's still out. It's still available. It's just interesting, you know. It's just kind of it's very, very um, extemporaneous, you know. Oh, great. I really appreciate you taking the time out, Lamar. Hey, thank you, my man. Be careful. Okay. I'm Lamar Fike and you're not. But I'll tell you what you are doing. You're riding on the mystery train. God knows what's around the next bend. Don Wilson's mystery train. Thank you for listening. I hope you will join me next time on Don Wilson's Hollywood Beat. Remember, I can be heard on Anchor, Spotify, Apple iTunes, Breaker, Google, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. Please check out my website at www.donwilsonshollywoodbeat.com and join me here next time. Remember, keep rocking and don't tip over. Thank you.